Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and since 2014, we've been celebrating and commiserating with world-class experts, best-selling authors, and parents around the world. Hello, everybody. Ellie here. Uh, my marriage survived last week's podcast. Woohoo! This is week two of our exploration on relationships after kids. So in case you missed last week, my husband, Adam Stekiel, and I answered listener questions, and we got personal. And this week, we're digging into our podcast archives because we have over 200 episodes. And over the years, our guests have given us such incredible insights into relationships post-kids. After going through all the episodes, I've picked six of my favorite pieces of relationship advice from experts and mothers in the thick of it. And to kick it off, I thought we'd start with Dr. Laura Berman. She explains like why we're so mad. <laughs> why are we so mad at our spouses? You may or may not have just rattled off a list as to why you're angry right now. But Let's hear what Dr. Laura Berman has to say, because she's a New York Times bestselling author, a world-renowned sex and relationship educator, frequent guest on Oprah back in the day, and clinical professor of OBGYN and psychiatry at Northwestern University. My girlfriend, Bridget Maloney Sinclair, co-captained this episode with me all the way back in December of 2016. Bridget announced her pregnancy in the introduction of this episode, and I was secretly pregnant with my second child at the time and feeling all of it. Ugh. Okay, give it to us, Dr. Berman. The reason that I think we get so angry at our husbands or fathers of the children is because they weren't raised to be the perfectionists in this way that we were. And so they don't hold these things so tightly. And we get frustrated when they, for all intents and purposes, are not as uptight as we are. You know, mm-hmm. when they're not willing to do oh, the 80 on the to-do list or when they're not willing. I mean, I came home once, and it can harm your relationship. I came home once when my uh, two, two, you know, my two youngest were babies and uh, my husband was giving them a bath. At, well, they weren't babies. I guess they were toddlers because I had just gotten them these new underwear. It was like when they were first starting to wear underwear and I hadn't washed them yet. So I wasn't planning on letting them use them. And I was the kind of mother, you know, you're going to put on it these pajamas after they take the bath and you're going to bathe them in this lavender oil and massage them afterward. You know, I was doing all that stuff. And I come home and my husband is giving them a bath in their new underwear. And I was like, okay, first of all, their underwear aren't washed yet. Second of all, like, why are you giving, you know, I started going to all that in my head. And then I was like, no, I want him to help. And now there's all this research coming out about babies in particular who have a lot of time with their fathers, are better academically, better self-esteem, better at math and science. It's really interesting. It, It affects their brain positively to spend that time. And so I decided in that moment, I'm no longer going to attach to a story about how that my way of parenting or dealing with the kids is better than his. And so what if they're taking a bath in their underwear? He'll take them off. I'll squeeze them out and put them in the laundry. <laughs> They'll still get their butts clean. Like, who cares? Right. And um, and I just let it go. And I started to just let him do what he wanted to do with the kids, as long as it wasn't stupid, dangerous, right. stupid, you know? And everything got better. So I think part of the reason that men shy away from helping as much as we want them to help is because we are... <laughs> 
they're terrified and everything they do is wrong. And then instead of appreciation, they get criticism when they're done. And that's not a big motivator. And the other thing is that they never lose unless they have low desire, but they rarely lose their desire. And so when that that baby is born, they feel abandoned because now there's this 24-hour need machine between the two of you, and you're not as sexually available to them as you were before. And that's the means by which men achieve that emotional closeness that women get through kissing, cuddling, talking, being together. Men get through the physical act of sex. So when she's postpartum and not that into it, even six weeks out and nothing feels in the same place and she's too tired and, and she's overtouched. Yeah. And she's overtouched. You know, why can't he understand? He feels really shut out. It would be the equivalent of him refusing to hold your hand or cuddle you or kiss you or tell you he loved you. You know, it mm. really feels painful. And so I think a lot of men shut down at that point and it's really hard to reconnect well, yeah. after that. So I, sex with that person. It's kind of a negative feedback loop. Yeah. And, and the irony is that for women, the number one inspiration in relationships for us to want to have sex is the emotional connection we feel to the guy we're going to have sex with. Mm -hmm. So if you've withheld sex and aren't as available emotionally, you're not showing him any appreciation. He just experiences you as someone critical, angry, and shut down from him. He's going to withdraw from the relationship. And then as he withdraws from the relationship, you get angry at him even more. You feel less connected to him and that much less inspired to be sexual. So it's really important not to abandon that piece of the relationship. Even when you're tired, and women will discover this as the kids get older, even when you're tired, even when you'd rather be watching Downton Abbey, even when you'd rather be, you know, doing something else on your to-do list, once you start to get busy with him, um, you enjoy it. And you think afterwards, oh, I should do this more often, you know? So it's just about really putting your attention on sourcing your desire from your, for your mate from a place other than spontaneous horniness, which goes away when you have a baby. Mm -hmm. It has to be from a place of wanting to nurture the relationship and love him and feel his love in return and, and continue to build that foundation, which is crucial to the success of that little baby's life. It's so funny to hear Dr. Laura Berman say spontaneous horniness. Uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. Definitely not anymore. So here's some advice from Britta Bushnell from our podcast number 166, How to Strengthen Your Marriage After Children. Britta Bushnell is an award-winning childbirth educator, celebrated speaker, and specialist with revolutionary approaches to birth, relationship, and parenting. I'll let you take it from here, Britta. When I work with my postpartum groups, Everybody wants to talk about sex and jump right into sex. And how do I, how do, you know, ugh, I don't want to talk about, I don't want to do mm -hmm. sex. I don't want to have, you know, this. And yet they want the intimacy with their partner. They want to feel connected with their partner. But you need to take some time to reconnect with your own relationship to your body and yourself. It's hard to be connected. And I, I know I'm rambling a little bit here, but it's hard to be connected with your partner when you haven't connected with yourself. And that's the piece. It's like I want to encourage uh, new parents to take time to connect with their own sense of sensuality, you know, with their, with their body, with their senses. Like one of the assignments that I give is to take a bath. And this sounds sort of silly, but take a bath, set it up, light a candle, maybe some music, warm water, maybe a special soap, 
climb into the bath, have somebody else be with your child, and spend the time in the bath noticing what you are feeling. Feel your skin. Notice what you smell. See what you see. Listen to the music. Like, reconnect with yourself as a being rather than as a a parent. Because when we connect, we, we can't go from being really in deep relationship with our partner when we're not in deep relationship with ourself. And so in your question about how do I engage with my partner in this place, I would say take small steps to connect with yourself so that you have something in your own tank to connect from. If you don't exist, you can't connect with another person. To piggyback on Britta's assignment to reconnect with ourselves, my next guest, Emily Price, has a fabulous exercise for reconnecting with our partner. Emily Price is a licensed clinical social worker and a mom of three boys living and working in New York City. She's been extensively trained in cognitive behavioral therapy and is a certified somatic experiencing practitioner. She's a psychotherapist in private practice and specializes in treating anxiety and trauma, particularly OCD, phobias, and PTSD. She's married to my cousin, and in this episode, we're recording in their family minivan that they drive around the country. I want to hear more tricks, but I do want to get in this relationship tip from you that you gave us last night. Give us the exercise. (gasps) Oh, was it good? For partners. Oh, okay. Well, this is, yeah, this is sort of something I like to do with partners, especially who are parents and don't see each other very often, is... Um, Like if I have a couple that I'm seeing, I'll recommend this. And I will say, I want both people to kind of take a moment and check in with their bodies and just notice how they're feeling. And then I want each person to take a turn saying something that they find very positive or that they really love about the other person. Um, And the, the trick is that you can't say something that's in your head. It has to be something that you feel. Um, Because in your head, people will say things like, it's just too they try to say what they think I want them to say or what the other person, but if they say it in their body, it's always amazing how people are like, oh my God, like, especially the husbands will be like, this is stupid. But in my chest, I kind of feel that I love the way that she puts her hair back like that. And I'm like, yeah, 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 that's it, you know? And like, you let them feel it and have them look at each other in the eyes and like express it. And it's almost like, I feel it from my hips or I feel it from my nose or something. Uh, and then I'm giving you this positive thing. And then the person has to like receive it. So like, right, where where can you receive it in your body? Okay, I receive it in like, for some reason, my stomach can take it or my eyes can take it or my smile or something. And then you have to go back and forth. Um, and I like five because I think that's a good number. I would always want to hear five nice things from my husband. So I think that's a nice amount. And the amazing thing is how often, I don't know if this ever happens to you, but like you don't look at your partner in the eyes, like when you just like mm-hmm. in life and you're like co-parenting and working and, and trying to do everything. So just like actually staring, like giving and receiving, like and staring at each other in the eyes, I just feel like can create a lot of love and a lot of openness. And like, a, we call that like in somatic experience, like a resource, like it creates a resource that you can then do some kind of hard work. You know, you can talk about things that you don't want to talk about or that are upsetting or, or, that you're kind of stuck on, um, but you, and then go back when needed. If you're getting overwhelmed, go back to that resource. Like, well, remember, like, if you're getting overwhelmed right now, like, notice your chest again. Remember when she said that nice thing to you, can you feel that again? You know, and kind of going back and forth. And I don't know, I find it to, it, it's pretty effective. 
what do you do when you feel frustrated with the kids and your partner on the road trips? Because there's no escape. Hmm. I think that's just kind of a given. Like, I mean, a lot of times my husband and I will just say, like, they are little kids. They're not in control right now. And they didn't, like, they're going to be glad when we're in West Virginia at this, like, beautiful place that they can, like, run around and do fun stuff. But this isn't their choice. So, like, they're allowed to be a little cranky. And, Mm -hmm. you know, if they, again, so then the whole two-hour thing of, like, waiting for a movie if that's still going on, then say I'm in the passenger seat, then I will climb into the back and, you know, color, like draw, I'll draw like a stupid picture or something and be like, all right, Jack, you can color this one in. And then like, I'll go, you know, like, so give them a little bit of time. I feel like that helps. Yeah. And I feel like Baker, like, will like, just like play silly games with them or something like that. I mean, it's a lot of work. This is when I feel like being an only child for a really long time until I was in third grade. I, these are tricks that I never learned because yeah. I didn't ever do those things. Like, yeah, I, I mean, I'm giving you credit for coming up with a lot of oh, this yourself, I'm sure. No, I mean, it's, but yeah, I didn't play with other first graders in the back seat. Yeah. Of my car ever. Yeah. So it was just me and my mom, and I would just sort of, like, yes. stare out the window. I have no idea what we did. I think we just listened to NPR, and I'd complain about NPR. Hi. I think that's all we did. I love thinking that your mom listens to NPR. I just got a text from my mom, actually. It's so weird. She doesn't believe in anything remotely Californian, like energy, but she's always she always knows what I'm talking about her. We're psychically connected in the most bizarre way. So there's a lot of moms out there, though, who have a lot of drama with their partners because of their in-laws or co-parenting with their ex. And so here, Natalie Savelle in our episode, Getting Real About Stepmoms, Exes, and Blended Families, she gives us a lowdown on boundaries. Boundaries. I think we know our boundaries by figuring out. I love Brene Brown's definition where she says what works for you and what doesn't. And we do that by tuning Mm -hmm. into our emotions, which live in our bodies. So I think tuning into our bodies and seeing like, what makes us uncomfortable and what feels good is like an indicator. It's kind of like a signal of what is and isn't working for us and what is and isn't okay. So moms, if you are dealing with a high conflict ex, set as many limits on your interactions with her, even not even interactions with her, but even your partner or your husband talking about her, there might need to be a limit on that because that can drive you through the roof just hearing about her all the time, right? If she's like really doing some damage. Um, So yeah, I have my stepmoms, you know, sometimes they have to ask their spouses, like, please don't talk to me. I can't be the one to support you around this because it's just too frustrating and too stressful for me to be involved. And there's there's kind of an energetic boundary there that has to be created. So like, don't even let her enter your sphere, right? Like you're any of your, emo- don't give any of your emotional energy to her, especially if she's high conflict, because you're going to end up super frustrated and resentful and you're probably going to be more stressed about it than your uh, husband or partner, right? He's probably just like, that's just her. He's learned by now. He's been married to her. You know, he probably has like ways of dealing with her or ways of being okay with it. Um, So yeah, I see the stepmoms, they'll stay up all night thinking about what the ex is saying to their husband and the husband's asleep, right? So it's not worth getting involved and trying to be the support person for him if it's going to be 
such a detriment to your own well-being. With a regular healthy ex, I still think a regular healthy ex, um, I still think there's there's challenges because there's a very high chance that they're not doing things with their child that you see a lot, right? That's partly living with you. There's a very high chance that they're not doing things the way that you want or that you know, are up to par with the way that you would want a parent. Um, that I actually got really blessed with a very respectful ex in my situation. And she has never talked badly about me. And she's always been super supportive and respectful. And still, Ellie, I limit my time with her as much as possible because I'm sure she's a good person in her own ways. But in the dynamic that we're in, I, you know, I just, I prefer not to be around her because I get frustrated that she's doing things a certain way that I don't like and that I don't think they should be done that way when it comes to her kid, right? And she has every prerogative to raise her kid however she wants. But of course, I see him all the time. So I'm like... Um, you know, I have my own ideas and my own things to say about, about what she's doing. And so it's just better for me to limit my time with her. So my joke is if you want the key to how to interact with the ex, it would be one word. And that is don't like this. Don't, (laughs) unless there's like some common ground, like it sounds like you might've had a situation where this, where your mom and your stepmom got along pretty well. And sometimes that does happen and that's great, but I wouldn't bank on it because it's very rare. Damn. Carissa Bruin and I met in college when we studied at the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center. She's not a psychologist, but I can say as a writer, director, she's an expert of human behavior. So in this lightly edited excerpt from our episode, How to Keep the Love and the Kids Alive, Carissa shares her own journey with marriage counseling. So, Carissa, give us help with our marriage. Well, I think the Everyone. thing, the thing saying, that— Yeah, no, I, I'm defensive about my marriage. <laughs> I've lost it. Don't be, don't be defensive. Look, the thing is— is something that I didn't realize would happen that happens when you have a kid is it changes your dynamic because suddenly you're both dealing with and processing stuff from when you were a kid, babies, that have to do with your relationship to your parents and how they maybe fell short or you didn't have your needs met in a particular way. And it changes the dynamic of your marriage by adding this other human. Not to mention, like, as a mom, you're, you be, I became, I became, I have become so focused on my kid. You know, like, I just, especially breastfeeding in like the first year, it's like so intense. And, you know, to balance that with a marriage is hard, I think, or it can be hard if you don't like make a priority for it. And we did. I mean, we had a really rough go. Like, Grayson's first year was really hard on our marriage, and we, we decided to go to couples therapy, and our first therapist was terrible. <laughs> and you guys bonded over that? Well, <laughs> we would go and we'd be like, what are we spending this money and time on? And oh, tell me the worst thing the person I, said. I mean, the worst thing that it was was we were both ex- incredibly busy. My husband was working um, on a stage at Second City. He was also in the writer's room at Second City. So he was basically working two jobs. I was being like stay-at-home mom, but I was also in graduate school at the same time. <laughs> so it was like insane. I don't recommend it. I did it, but like, don't do it. And did we you would... have any help, by the way? Um, Grayson? Well, you were in grad school. Like, did you have a nanny? No. See, that's why I wanted to make that clear. I wasn't totally sure because yeah, that no. sounds so insane. Yeah, no. I, you were I... in grad school and the full-time caregiver 
of your infant. Right. So for the first, this is a little bit of a digression. That's all I do. But so I had him, I intentionally got, we got pregnant at the, basically the same time I started grad school because it was kind of like time is going and like, why not? And I kind of wanted, grad school was really good for me personally and creatively. So we got pregnant. And so my first year of grad school, I was pregnant I produced a short film at the end of that year while I was eight months pregnant. So there's like pictures of me on set, like super pregnant. (laughs) And then I had Grayson in July and then I went back to school when he was like six weeks old. And for the first (laughs) and for the first six, eight weeks of school. So until he was like three, three and a half, almost four months old, I took him with me to school, to class. It was night classes, mostly evening classes. We were in Chicago. I would put him in the baby carrier and I because I could nurse him in the carrier and he would just sleep on me or I would lay him on the floor in class. And I'll tell you what, not a, I never asked permission and not a single professor ever said a word to me other than what's his name? <laughs> but yeah, no, no, I didn't have any child care. And then I arranged <laughs> my we were able to arrange our schedule like with the winter break and then my class schedule. I was able to arrange my schedule so that Scott could be home with him. On his nights off from doing, he was doing eight shows a week of an equity run. On his nights off, he would be with Grayson and I would go to school then separate. It was was really hard. It was a hard first year. Extremely hard. And the terrible, I want to call him guidance counselor, (laughs) therapist. So look, I think she's a very nice person, whatever. But her, the thing that she would always say to us would be like, this, we're like doing this, we're doing this, like, we don't know, we're fight. like, we have this tension, what's going on? She'd be like, oh, you guys are both so busy. And I was like, what the f- am I paying you for? Mm-hmm. I'm paying you to tell me I'm busy? I know I'm busy. We're carving out an hour of time mm-hmm. to come here. Mm-hmm. We would take Grayson with us <laughs> to these appointments uh, because we didn't. It didn't feel like we had a lot of options. Right. For whatever reason. So so then we— You found a new person. Fired her. <laughs> you fired her. Did you tell her or did you just ghost? Um, well, things got somehow like slightly busier. Like our, the, my, my class schedule changed and then it like wasn't working. So we just told her, you know, we're not going to be— mm-hmm. This schedule doesn't work for us anymore, and we'll circle back if we feel like we need to do that. And then we found this other guy, and he's amazing. We still He's in Chicago, but we still see him through Skype, thank God, for Skype and FaceTime. And he's like an angel human in, like, therapist form. What's the best thing he said? How did he solve the busyness issue, or what was it really? Well, I mean, look, tension does not come from being busy, right? Like stress in a marriage doesn't come from that. It comes from like underlying issues <laughs> that are there. And the underlying issues, at least in our experience, it seems like our challenges always come from one of us feels like our needs aren't being met, which is like triggered from our childhoods. And our we had very different childhoods, but somehow both had the experience of kind of putting our needs second or like benching our needs to kind of get through whatever the thing is. Or, you know, my thing was I'm the oldest and um, I have a sister who's exactly two years younger than I am. Her birthday's the day before mine. And I think she was a lot as a kid. And I think, you know, my parents were always just kind of like, you're the big girl, handle your stuff. Mm -hmm. 
which is has created part of my personality that I love, which is like I can get stuff done and I can do a lot. And I'm like, that's great. But it also means I'm not great at asking for help. For example, taking my kid with me to school. Right. You know what I mean? Like I didn't even think that I could ask for help or I didn't know who to ask, that sort of thing. You muscle through. Yeah, because I can, which is like, but do you have to? So what do you say now when you feel like – when do you feel like you f- realize that you aren't getting your needs met like way after the fact? Like does it take yes, a while well, to recognize it? Right. So that's like the benefit of therapy, right, is like you work with people to help you understand why am I reacting this emotionally or in this way and then how can I sort of like get in front of that and mm-hmm. change – and realize, like, what's really happening. So sometimes, like, Scott, the, the best thing about this therapist that we have as a couple is that he's given us all sorts of, like, catchphrases or little tools. And most of them are pretty humorous. And they're just ways for us to, like, stop whatever the kind of emotional snowball effect is and kind of get back into the present moment. And it's about practicing. And so we just try to practice with each other. So like sometimes if I'm feeling really emotional, but I don't really know what's going on, I'm getting kind of like pissed off and Mm -hmm. like grumpy. I'll just sometimes go, need, need. (laughs) (laughs) I have a need. (laughs) And then what do you say? (laughs) And then Scott will go, okay, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Like that kind of helps him understand that the, the kettle is boiling a little bit or starting to boil. And then, you know, and then it, it's on me and it's on it's my work to kind of figure out, okay, so what is the thing that's really feeling triggered or upset or where haven't I asked for what I need? Need, need. I have a need. Okay. It's my need is to wrap up our best of relationship advice. And I thought I'd share Bridget Maloney Sinclair's naughty reading recommendations from the beginning of this year. Bridget is a writer and director, currently part of the prestigious AFI directing program for women. And Claire Coffey is my friend whose kid is welcome to throw up at my house anytime. She was a series regular on Grimm forever. And her IMDb credits are 10 miles long. Okay. Here we go. Take what you will from these knuckleheads. Okay, so speaking of vibrators, Bridget. Yes. We're always recommending books on Atomic Moms. I'd like to do something a little different today. You have a different selection of books that you can recommend now that our children are back in school <laughs> and we have a few <laughs> hours time. to ourselves. You're on location. What can keep us no. warm and under the covers? So I, I, these are like, so. You might call them romance novels. It turns out romance novels are code for smut in most cases. Like, I've come to this very late, no pun intended. Um, <laughs> like, people people have known this the whole time. Like, I read Fifty Shades of Grey and was like, well, I mean, some of it was titillating, but it was very stupid. And, oh, sorry. And also, <laughs> my mom then read the whole trilogy after being like, this is so stupid. And then bought my now 97-year-old grandmother the extra large print, Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> And my grandmother's like, I read all of them, but it was ridiculous. They have sex in the shower. They have sex in the bedroom. They have sex on the... T- I was like, yeah, I mean, I only read the first one, guys, so you can hate it that much. Um, but so that was like the only sort of erotica I had read beyond like the best sex writing of 2009, which I like. I would occasionally pick up essay collections just like because I'm interested in, in it, I guess. But um, 
<laughs> were you we were like at the like, airport or no, oh, no, the, like at yeah. bookstores back in the old days. You're interested day, in like, like literary. Yeah, I'd like browse, like so, an yeah. anthology, you know. Whatever. Right, no, I know. I think I've seen that book, but it's yeah. just an interesting. Yeah, I, you know, when I, yeah, would buy books just for fun. But so this, so long story short, I actually, I, the recommendation that I'll give is a friend had a, had a memoir come out last year and it was blurbed in people next to, so my friend Kate Spencer had a book come out called the dead mother, dead mom's club. And next to that book in people magazine was this book called room roomies by Christina Lauren. And it turns out those are two different women who are a writing team who write together and they're real people. Cause I feel like a lot of these are not real yeah. people, but um, there are these real women <laughs> named Christina something and Lauren something. And they write yeah. a ton of these books, but I think if you're interested in exploring the genre, it's a great place to start because the books are pretty good because you read a lot of terrible stuff if you're me and you read all of these. Um, but th- this is interesting. And she, they write, um, they're often feminist, they're funny, and they're pretty good. And there's like explicit sex, which is, I mean, there's they're smutty books. Like That's the point. Of yeah, that. they're like rom-coms with sex scenes. Where like people's nipples are pebbling and they have throbbing centers. I don't even know what pebbling means. That's the only problem is like these are not real words. Often. <laughs> 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 but like it means your nipples get hard. It's also interesting because oh. you see the style. Like some people are like my nipples got hard, and then other people. Uh, Would you ever pebbling. be interested in dabbling in writing it? Uh-huh. Me and everybody else. It's like everybody who's ever read one of these. I mean, please go confidently in the direction of your dreams. If you're listening to this and thinking about writing Kindle Unlimited Erotica, I think it's a pretty, pretty saturated market. Again, no pun intended, but I saturated. I got it. I'm kind of. (laughs) um, It's a pretty damp, damp (laughs) voiced. Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Yeah, I've thought about it. I actually, I did, I did take a crack at it a few years ago when I was like, could I do this? When I first started reading this, like two or three years ago. But did it, ev- did it, no, it help your sex life? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. So I, I'll send you a link to post. My friend Kristen Sleisman was like, oh yeah, she had read this essay by, I think a sex therapist about keeping your pilot light lit and how this idea of like, being turned on by things like this sort of makes you more open to being turned on in general and having sex. And then I read something that like the Harlequin, you know, imprint did their own study, but women who regularly read romance novels report having more sex often with their partners. And not like, they're not like out there getting it yeah. on. So just like, there's a few really sad stories about how families fell apart. Yeah, they're just too turned just on. Moved it's, I mean, to it's Prague. It's so absurd. Like, you, well, I, I, again, I read the genre, so I say this with love, but like, there's a whole genre. I, I didn't realize also like with anything, like, there's a whole genre of friends to lovers and enemies to lovers. And then they're like, um, you know, like, gr- the, of course, you get into like, there's 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 a foot for every sock, so to speak. Like, there's people it's like step siblings, but they don't grow up together because that's too taboo. It's like they got divorced. It's like clueless. Yes, it's like clueless. Or the parents so, get married while they're adults. And then there's this. That's like my brother, genre. my stepbrothers and my stepbrother in Brooklyn. Nothing ever happened between us, but. I made the mistake of mentioning Clueless in my rehearsal dinner speech, and I think people thought it was a little odd. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll send you some recommendations, Alex. Okay, I hope this episode was helpful or at least, you know, a good source of company. 
Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review and share with your friends on Facebook. And thank you, thank you, thank you. This is a self-funded, independently run project. Special thanks to Owen O'Neill, our sound engineer. Until next week, everybody, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms. Thank you.